in the instance of you calling out how different Boom Chicka Pop looks and how much it stands out, you know, a lot of that is purposeful too, because they need that visual hook and anchor from a distance to then attract consumers as they get closer so that they can make a decision. A lot of like, you know, digitally native brands should think about how to use that unboxing experience to create a differentiated and unique and memorable moment uh, that that helps sort of push them apart from all of the other maybe more traditional brands. We say no to a lot of client opportunities. If we try their product, then we don't think it's where it needs to be because design is one of the fastest ways to kill a brand. If you have great design, but a subpar product, you'll get really quick trial and very little repeat purchase. So on this episode, you're going to learn how to ready your direct-to-consumer package design to sell in physical retail spaces. It's a great episode you do not want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear first-hand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model, meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. 
So welcome, welcome, welcome to 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Now, um, on today's episode, I interviewed Fred Hart. He is the partner and creative director at a design um, or package design agency, actually just a, a branding agency called Interact. He dialed in to share his experience and advice to online retailers or direct digital native, you know, um, brands, CPG brands specifically looking to scale out from digital into retail environments. There's a, there's a specific playbook he shares. There's a specific way you approach physical spaces. There's a specific way to stand out on retail aisles. And we brush every single piece of detail in 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 that playbook um great great episode we're in a recession now yes we are in a recession and omni channel brands have more of, more of an advantage than single channel brands and um i'm seeing a lot of activity going omni channel from direct to consumer brands to just essentially scale and hit their potential this is an episode if you're running a cpg brand and you're trying to figure out how to stand out on a retail aisle, this one you don't want to miss. Enjoy. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chubby's. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hey, Fred, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the 2x e-commerce podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Mom, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> On the spotlight. Okay, um, right. Could you please give a one-minute introduction of who Fred Hart is? Happy to. Fred Hart is a donut connoisseur. Uh, he's a lover of sneakers and basketball, and more than anything, he is a change maker in the CPG industry. Um, I run a branding and design firm called Interact that works with CPG companies to help um, participate in the changing of the guards and uh, building new companies that resonate with today's modern consumers. Yeah, and quite uniquely, um, you're, you're bringing D2C brands or many channels to, to retail environments through, through, through branding and packaging and standing out. That's right. Yeah, we have a long history of working with brands in retail. Um, and because of that, we have... Uh, this sort of outsized institutional knowledge to help D2C companies that are continuing to look to grow. Eventually, they need to become omni-channel brands, and we take a lot of our retail expertise and help them prepare to finally compete with other brands for the first time in a physical retail location, be it grocery, mass, club, uh, whatever you can think of. And oftentimes, that work that we do to prep them to uh, better compete in these physical realms actually ends up benefiting their digital uh, experiences as well. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. I'd like to really dig deep into it. But I want to go back to to your form, formative years, you know, as a child, um, you know, as a teenager and, you know, um, as a growing up. Are there any connections, any design, um, you know, is there any design history? Did, did you, have you always been, I mean, you, you mentioned the fact that you like basketball. Um, yeah. So to, to tell me a little bit about about that, um, about your early days and, and its connection to design, if, if any. Yeah, well, um, I'm very blessed to have been born and raised in Hawaii, um, particularly on the islands of Maui and Oahu. Um, I think that just gave me a real curiosity for the world. Growing up in an island, you get to know everyone around you, but also realize there's a lot happening outside of it. And so I think that innate desire to, to continue to learn has um, given me a sort of listen and learn first approach. Uh, that's that's benefited our agency, our, our clients, and and been a part of our our success along with the phenomenal people we employ. Growing up in Hawaii, um, I was definitely a minority. The majority of the population is some form of uh, Asian American or, or Polynesian mixes. It's a real cultural melting pot. So maybe very just very empathetic to um, different people, different cultures, uh, different drivers mm-hmm. for people, and um, I think that serves up myself well in the realm of design where we are not building for ourselves. We're not artists. Um, we have a commercial element where we are using design on behalf of businesses um, to help them thrive. And usually that means by connecting better with consumers, which drives revenue. So anyways, there's those pieces. And how I got into design was through my love of basketball. I used to collect um, sneakers uh, as a young kid i used to cut out all of the shoes for my favorite players and put them in my composition notebooks and sketch and when i was 13 years old i was sending shoe designs to adidas and they had uh they replied with like an nda that they wanted me to sign and i thought they were going to steal everything that i made from that point forward so i stopped sending them anything which was a bad decision but it it led me on my path of like being very interested in the arts and creativity and um i eventually went to art school in chicago and then finishing my undergraduate at the University of Arizona in Tucson, studying graphic design and stumbled my way into packaging design through some design agencies. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really learned a love of brand building and uh, a passion for the CPG world. So phenomenal. Um, very, very um, interesting, um, you know, um, yeah, history, well, well, just pathway, pathway to, to yes. where you are now. Um, so, so interact. Um, on your website really, you know, really, really stands out with, with, the, with the brand you're, you know, you're, you're working with, um, you seem to be working now with D2C, um, well, digital native brands, um, CPG brands looking to dominate in, in retail spaces. Should we sort of get into, um, just like first principle concepts on, um, on design, on 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 package design in uh, for for CPG brands. What what should founders and operators be listening to this um, episode? Be um, what should they be aware of when it comes to just um, you know making a just CPG you know packaging that um, will essentially put them on the pathway to success. Not necessarily guarantee success, but put them on that pathway to yep. success in retail environment. It's a great question. What we've learned um, working with a lot of entrepreneurs is that um, these are people that are incredibly brave and willing to put things on the line, right? These are not people that have um, nine to five jobs. Uh, This is their livelihood. 
And so the amount of sort of like bravery um, and the sort of challenging spirit that they bring to the table is something that we want to continue to harbor in the element of creative and brand building and packaging. We like to say, um, or we like to repeat this quote that the opposite of bravery isn't cowardice, it's conformity. And when you're talking about CPG, particularly in the world of food and beverage, you walk through a grocery store today, there is a lot of design that all looks and feels the same. There's almost like this formula of like big logo, big food photography, get four or five claims onto the packaging. Your natural product, let's use white, green, or brown. Um, and there's sort of this like rinse, wash, and repeat that happens. Um, and what we like to do is tell our clients that we, we, we want to challenge the category, not the consumer. It is so easy today to simply be different for different sake or to try to stand out amongst the crowd. But what we really want to do is find something that all of our category takes for granted and use it to our advantage. And I'll give you an example so that some of the audience listening understands. Boom Chicka Pop, um, one of the uh, fastest growing and largest popcorn consumer brands out there today. When they first launched, didn't have any popcorn on the packaging. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, who doesn't know what popcorn looks like? And then secondarily, whose popcorn looks different from another brand's? No one's. It's all, it's all the same, right? So why are we wasting precious real estate to depict the thing that's inside the bag that everyone already knows what it looks like and it looks no different from everyone else? So Boom Chicka Pop, what do they do? They forego the use of photography, which gives them back very um, precious real estate. They lead with a very brand forward personality driven name in boom chicka pop where everything else is like popcorn indiana or orville redenbacher and like all this like stodgy stuff and then they use a color palette to convey flavor and to convey personality and attitude and i think it's a lot of those smart ways that they said here are ways we can challenge our category but they don't alienate the consumer the consumer doesn't need to see popcorn um and has been a part of their success to date. So that's that's like one of the key principles that we work with. And I'll give you a second if you have a follow up question. No, I, I'm just looking at the boom boom chicka pop. Um, you know, just I, I I view it as a more like a canvas. Um, mm-hmm. And if if I was to deconstruct it, it's it's more the typography the name, you know, Boom Chicka Pop is, it just stands out and they've used typography to really, you know, bring it out. Mm-hmm. And every other thing really is, as you said, you know, with the color palette, um, it's just educational, you know, in, in their backs up, um, you know, the content with with words, but uh, with clarity and a few icons. It's it's almost minimalist, but at the same time, um, you know, um, it just just looks like it 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 stands out. It will stand out in in, in an eye. Very much so. And Fasc- you know, when you think about retail, there's a saying that what what isn't seen isn't sold, because the consumer journey mm-hmm. in a physical format starts ten to fifteen feet back. I'm walking down an aisle, or I know that I need I want to go grab a, a beverage from the refrigerated section or something like that. As soon as I start to walk up, I'm already trying to navigate it. Where are my coffees? Where are my teas? Where are my coconut waters? And there are very important design codes um, built into a lot of these brands or these spaces that consumers use to navigate as they inch their way closer. So in the instance of you calling out how different Boom Chicka Pop looks and how much it stands out, you know, a lot of that is purposeful too. 
because they need that visual hook and anchor from a distance to then attract consumers as they get closer so that they can mm-hmm. make a decision. Oh, you know what? This looks interesting. This looks exciting. I, I want to try this versus what they previously had been buying. And then, mm-hmm. you know, if the product's great, then you create this positive feedback loop. And, and now they suddenly have, uh, you know, a new shopping ritual by buying your brand. Yeah. 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 Um, how, 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 how nimble is testing? How, you know, you could run with, with online, you could run an AB split test at a snap of a finger. You just need to know what to test. You put it online yep. and it's, it's done with packaging and retail environments. Do, 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 do brands have that, um, you know, that, that the, the privilege to, 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 <laughs> to, 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 to test, you know, packaging or is it just one shot? So the majority of CPG brands today spend a lot of time trying to get their packaging and their communication and their branding spot on for launch or, you know, just, just within the retail space. It is very different than um, the DTC method, which is highly iterative, um, tons of testing. What we like to say is we want to test to learn, but not test to win. We can't let just the data um, tell us what to do and take our hands off the steering wheel. We need a little bit of vision, particularly if we are trying to go out and challenge some categories. Oftentimes, some of this feedback we get from consumers is backward facing around what works today, but not what will work tomorrow. Um, so outside of like things like digital printing and being able to run different mocks uh, at retail, what we find is more emphasis on understanding the key design target or key uh, consumer for retail or omni-channel brands and mm-hmm. really solidifying like the three most important or salient points to utilize. Um, you'll always learn things from being in market. There's no substitute for that, but you have to remember, like unlike D2C, you can't geo-target someone. Um, you know, you can't run a funnel the way that they can. You're 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 almost speaking to a gen pop. Now that changes if I'm talking about a Walmart versus a Whole Foods, two very different consumers. But you can see here, there's almost a a level of universality that has to be accounted for in terms of who's going to be looking at your brand and. It's a good thing not to be for everyone. You just have to be confident in the messaging that you craft as a result. Okay, makes sense. What was the second um, the second brand you were going to speak to before I uh, I, I, I caught shots and, and the boom check after the boom checker yeah, yeah, yeah. um, example? Well, it wasn't going to be a second brand. So another principle that Interact works with is that people don't read, they recognize. And this is this is mm. key, again, particularly when we think about the world of food and beverage, um, as most brands have some large word mark. I mean, even when we look at Boom Chicka Pop, like primarily typographic in nature. Um, but they have other recognizable things like their starkness and design or their color palettes. What we try to instill in our clients is owning some form of brand equity. That can be a logo. If you think about Nike or Starbucks or McDonald's or Apple, it can be a color, if you're Coke, if you're Tiffany, if you're Cheez-It, if you're Oreo, if you're Bonds of Pasta, orange. Um, it can be a pattern. And you see a lot of patterns in sort of the fashion world, like if we're talking about Louis Vuitton or Burberry or Gucci. Um, it can be structure. So method, 
the hand uh, soap cleaning company. They have that beautiful like pearl yeah. drop bottle or Calafia yeah. oat, uh, oat milk. You know, they have the beautiful craft. And of course, as we all know, in the mm-hmm. spirits world, having a distinctive packaging structure usually helps. I mean, think about the Absolute bottle or the Hendrix Gin bottle mm-hmm. or, or some of these yeah. other things. Um, sometimes it is typography that is the, the more recognizable component. But when we're doing, when we're creating packaging, we're not just building, like, it's not just about packaging design, it's building the brand in hand. And a lot of those components that we're creating need to be extrapolated out into the brand world, website, digital, all of these other components. And, and once you think about just how many places your brand will be, you have to ask yourself, how will I go out and create recognition across all these touch points? Will it be a color that anchors everything? Will it be a logo that anchors everything? Will it be a pattern that anchors everything? Will it be an illustration style? Think about the uh, Red Bull it gives you wings um, commercials. Like you, you can air those today. They've been doing it for a decade now. And that sort of light featherweight pencil sort of drawing um, yeah. has become a part of their equity. So that's, that's something that we really drill into our clients as a key principle. And when we're working on rebrands of companies, and we can talk about Dr. Squatch here in a second, um, a very, very successful mm-hmm. D2C brand. We filter through what we want to change and what we don't want to change through this through this lens of, well, what do consumers recognize today? Some brands don't have anything that's mm-hmm. recognizable, but in the instance of Dr. Squatch, like the Sasquatch character was very recognizable and told us we shouldn't touch it. And that keeps mm-hmm. agencies like ours from having personal creative agendas and always honoring the consumer first. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds to me like... Um, brands either, well, new brands will will build a distinctive visual asset mm-hmm. that is portable across multiple platforms or channels. That's right. And um, more established brands typically would have accrued a a an asset which must be honored because you know it's recognizable. If you look at the boom chicka pop. Um, you know, um, um, brand, it comes with the Angie's, you know, um, you know, right. logo there. It doesn't go away. It's, it's always there and it's intentional. I, I would, I would, I would assume I'm, I'm not American, so I, I don't know much about, about Angie's, but, um, it just seems like that is a collateral that, um, was not going to be taken away with, um, with, with their packaging. Yeah. And it's actually a holdover. I think that the Boom Chicka Pop brands today, is referenced as such and therefore angie's actually could be um moved to the back panel or removed altogether because you actually it almost is creating two brands there but angie is the founder angie started the brand then they sort of right. built this well, it, boom chicka pop started as a pseudo tagline if you will and now people right. refer to it as the brand today so and mm-hmm. this is again like if they were to come to us and we were to do some work we'd say well what do people recognize the boom chicka pop name okay if they don't recognize Angie's as much, then let's remove that or let's do something strategic with it to give back some more real estate for some other considerations. Right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, you, you're taking us through through your philosophy. Um, you know, um, is, is, is there any other, you, you, you talked about, um, you know, what isn't seen, isn't sold. People yep. don't read, they recognize. Is, is there any other 
key for guiding philosophy that um you know um that dictates your design work we really focus on design effectiveness as a studio and that separates us from other agencies because we're not um pursuing creative design awards we're pursuing awards that validate creative being a tool for business so you know we we rebranded a company called uh, Boulder Canyon and they saw a 54% increase in sales year over year uh, which equated to 13 million in revenue for that company we just won a grand prize um, from Designalytics a company that awards design effectiveness here in the states uh, we did a redesign for a company called Good Pop before um, and after they compare those things in market with actual retailer data and sales data. And they concluded that because of the packaging redesign, they saw a 40% increase in sales. So for us, we're always thinking about how can we create a stronger connection with consumers and what do consumers care about first? If we understand that, mm-hmm. then we can craft additional design assets on the behalf of brands um, that forge that, that positive relationship. Um, between them selling really, really great products and consumers rewarding them because they can find them or the experience is more enjoyable or there's a, sort of an emotional quality that they uh, can really get behind. Interesting, interesting. Right, so many brands, um, well, brands that are built intentionally have a target, you know, they they have a target persona, a psychographic, a demographic, um, you know, target um, how important is it to optimize for for that target, regardless of the fact that um, it may be in a different you know retail environment to that target at some point in its life cycle? So, as an example, um, the nearest equivalent to to um, as much as we we do have Whole Foods in the UK, I think we only have one in London. In in the in, in London, we we have a few in the London area. Um, I think the nearest to to Whole Foods experience is like Waitrose for instance, in the UK. And yep. if you're targeting Waitrose, um, it, it's more, you know, um, a middle-class, um, you know, um, a market and, and up. Um, eventually, you know, some brands ev- find themselves in, in more mass market, um, you know, um, you know, supermarket brands, uh, you know, such as Sainsbury's or Tesco's. But how do you intentionally design for a target and, and still survive in, in other retail environments? Well, in the early days of a brand, it is really important to be hyper-focused on your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually usually a, a point where a company, for instance, might want to leave the natural channel or natural retailers and go into more conventional. Or I, would, I shouldn't say leave, expand, right? And this happens all the time in the States. They'll get into Whole Foods. It's their holy grail. They get into you know global um, Whole Foods all over the country. And then they're like, okay, Target just called and now Target wants us. That's usually a signal to a brand to look at themselves and say, okay, are we ready for an even bigger, wider audience? Or do we need to go through some sort of refresh or redesign to update our communication and our hierarchy and and some of these other pieces? You know, I'll I'll speak to some of our work with Hot Pockets recently. So we just rebranded Nestle's Hot Pocket brand, billion dollar company. And what was so interesting about that was the brief that we received was all centered around helping the Hot Pockets brand speak to its core eating audience, which is a 13-year-old gamer. 
But previously, for the last decade, the brand has been spoken mostly to the buyer, and the buyer is the head of household. So most 13-year-olds aren't doing their own grocery shopping. So you have the head of household, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, etc. It's usually the one that goes out, buy these things, but they don't actually consume them. So Hot Pockets, you know, they want to make more of an impact in their social media outreach. They are investing in online gaming. They have an esports team that they've sponsored. They're doing live streaming on mm. Twitch. And they know that for cultural relevancy, they do need to tap into their true audience. So we were brought in to basically help refresh the brand, make it more lively, more energetic, um, fresher, essentially, to connect with that eating audience. But at the same time, we couldn't alienate the buying audience. And they have two very different interests. 13-year-old you know, wants personality and flavor and, and cares about some of the more fun elements, where the head of household cares about the price point, the satiety. Does this thing have protein in it? Will it hold over my kid between lunch and dinner, et cetera? And so sometimes with brands, you're forced to hold two of these different needs at the same time um, and then figure out, well, what do both audiences want? Well, appetite appeal, food photography, that usually needs to speak to both audiences. The back of pack, maybe that's more for the kid. The thing that you put the hot pocket into called the susceptor, um, you know, maybe that's more for the kid and less for the adult. So that can be younger, more edgy, more hip, et cetera. So to get back to your original question, I mean, understanding your audience is key and critical. The reality is the bigger and more successful you get, usually the more general your audience becomes because you hit so many different types of people. And that's where doing consumer research is helpful to understand, okay, what are the three most important things generally to this entire group? And how do we, uh, focus our communication around that. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen their brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with a subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, 
and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention 2X e-commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2X e-commerce. Interesting. I particularly like the rare of um, the, the Hot Pocket, um, you know, packaging, which which has um, some, you know, um, the, the almost like um, comic um, the the atomic they're like um typographing like um you know comic style load yes, it yes, eat yes. it enjoy it and then there's <laughs> there's some icons on there that would you know catch my attention as a um visual person um and then there's an internal one which looks almost like a infographic comic strip thingy which holds the the actual product so there's internal packaging and external packaging um. Do you want to speak to to sustainability? Um, so, if you're speaking to um, consumers who, you know, um, care about um, you know sustainability, what what approach would you take in 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 packaging? Um, what, what trends are you seeing? Well, we're very fortunate to have an amazing person on our staff. Her name is Valerie Hawks, and she's our head of sustainability and production. So she really is the one that um, helps all of our clients understand, one, how to take the great creative work that we do and actualize it when it comes to printing in the physical world. But two, what they can do to enact more sustainable practices into their businesses, be it on the printing or manufacturing side. Um, or looking at their company beliefs and how we can weave that into our positioning work that we do for some of these companies. Sustainability is not for everyone. Um, there's nothing worse than greenwashing. In fact, that usually gets you in a lot more trouble, right? So we have very honest conversations with some of our clients to understand how committed are they um, and how much do we want to signal that to consumers. And I think, you know, <laughs> we're in an era right now where, where people on social media are talking about Taylor Swift and the Kardashians' private jets and how much carbon emissions they're creating by these, you know, convenient flights. So yeah. you have consumers are becoming watchdogs more and more every day. And so that means you have to build with authenticity more than ever, which is a bit of a, you know, buzzword now. But we really do spend time getting to know our companies. And if sustainability isn't their jam, what we'll at least do is figure out when it comes to the packaging, how can we be more helpful to the consumer so that they can be smart or educated about the recyclability of something? You know, um, will it go into the waste stream? Um, you know, are there different inks that we can be using that might save them money? So on and so forth. So there's a lot that I can sort of speak to. And um go into but it's also a very big and broad subject interesting very very interesting so the the thesis of this conversation has been you know moving you know d2c cpg brand um you know from digital to so many channel environments um but just stepping back again into the d2c world as a cpg brand 
um, the unboxing experience is so important, you know, um, and the feelings it, it evokes, you know, um, sometimes, you know, people feel really special and they look forward to, you know, receiving um, just the cadence of receiving, you know, um, yep. Um, you know, products and, and that in itself is, is a pattern, you know, it's, it's a, it's a habit. It's, it's a habit forming pattern. Um, do you, do you want to just, just, uh, to give us a, a brief overview of what, um, CPG brands should be cognizant about, um, in, in unboxing for CPG? Now for UK listeners, anytime I mention CPG, it's F- FMCG. I'm going to also mention this at the intro. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, consumer product goods. Um, yes. So, in the world of retail, brick and mortar, or like, um, or yeah, I'll, I'll stick with those. Packaging design's function is to sell a consumer. When it comes to D2C, which is so interesting, is you've already made the purchasing decision based on the website, based on the images, based on the social media presences. So when the phys- when it comes to the physical packaging of um, the box or the, the the experience that shows up in the mail, its function is to post rationalize the sale. So now you've already spent your money, you've already done it. What this is now doing is it has the opportunity to create a very positive feedback loop to say I want to do this again. So I remember you know all birds. Uh, the shoes they come in these like really interesting proprietary shoe boxes um they open up sort of differently there's this whole illustrative world that surrounds them and then you have these beautiful shoes inside and um it creates a very different impression than when i just ordered nike off of their website and it just shows up in their standard box and so a lot of like you know digitally native brands should think about how to use that unboxing experience to create a differentiated and unique and memorable moment uh, that that helps sort of push them apart from all of the other maybe more traditional brands. And this mm-hmm. can I've seen it in a handful of ways. I've seen some smaller companies going out of their way to make handwritten notes and put those in. There's just like so much more richness that you can do. Um, I don't know if you guys have this in the UK or have access to it, but there's um Oh man, now I'm forgetting the cookie brand name out of Los Angeles. That's all D2C cookies. Uh, I'll find it in a second. But they have like this really over the top, luxurious experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that, that is in line with the, the price point too. You have to think about how are you supporting the price mm-hmm. point? And that, that varies widely on, on what you're selling. Um, but for this, this cookie company called the last crumb, you're paying $120 for 12 cookies. (laughs) So you can imagine, but, but it's unlike anything you've ever had. Like you, if you order Mm -hmm. one of these, you have a bunch of people that come over to your house. Mm -hmm. You want to make it this big unveil. You want to do a cookie cutting tasting with everyone. And the packaging while extremely wasteful, not like the complete opposite of sustainable does play into what they're all about, which is indulgence and luxuriousness. And that's in the product of the cookie. It's also in the packaging and the messaging and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's certainly a feedback loop um, when customers are sharing um, their unboxing experience, you know, um, on, online. Yes. And, the virality yeah. of that, of those yeah. elements are very yeah. powerful too, yeah. to your point. Yeah. Interesting. Very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so when, so what other critical facts or concepts should listeners be cognizant um, of when it comes to, you know, packaging in retail environments? I want to speak later to wholesale, like, um, I know you guys have Costco, um, yep. which is a completely different, you know, um, <laughs> totally you know, different um, animal. retail experience, I have to say. Exactly. But, but yeah, um, what are the critical concepts should, should we be, be aware of? So club is, uh, club is fascinating club, mm. uh, as it's called, as that channel is called here in the United States. Um, uh, focuses really on the what of the product. It's it's what we call not a brand building place, but a place to move product. So for instance, if you're a keto cookie and, and you have a really strong brand, you'll probably let your brand take a slight backseat and really emphasize the word keto cookie, or you'll blow up the imagery to be as large as possible. Consumers really want to know what is this product because it's not necessarily a place of education. So packaging needs to be more education oriented. And then secondarily, it's a place where you're looking for a bargain. You're buying wholesale. You're looking at the unit, uh, unit e- economics. And so you want to know how many bars are in here. That needs to be a really strong call out. You need to have, if it's a variety pack, very clear and easy to understand that there are three different flavors inside of this thing. So very unique channel very unique beast a lot of costco buyers or costco um, category managers will actually give brands feedback on their packaging and say you need to change these things Um, you also need to think about how can how do they palletize so what happens when you have four large size boxes all next to each other Mm -hmm. is there some sort of continuous design pattern that links up from one to one how do you stand Mm -hmm. out the moment of the pallet, and again, you know, if, if a grocery store you shop from ten to fifteen feet away, in retail, in in club or Costco, you might start your shopping journey from thirty feet away. And if you see some crazy looking pallet, you go, okay, what is that? And now you go over and look at it, and they're examining price and product and flavors, and okay, yeah, I want that, so on and so forth. So some very interesting um, environments in that space is a good call out. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I think, I think that that is, that's it. I, I, I want to ask you some more questions. I, I really want to ask you some more, more questions. Um, is, is, is there any other point you, you want to speak to like research, you know, how deep do you research your customer or your, your target you know, um, you know, customer demographic. I'd, I'd like to, to to understand your research process um, yeah. because you, you talked about being hyper focused when um, when you're for, when you're going to market, um, especially initially. So, one thing that didn't really cover is how big is Interact. So we have two offices: one in Boulder, Colorado, and one in Austin, Texas. We have twenty employees, mm-hmm. and among them, uh, we have a dedicated strategy team. So we have brand strategists on staff um, that are really central to a lot of the the research needs and desires of our clients. Hmm. We'll do a lot of primary research ourselves. Um, I might be going out and speaking with consumers, um, you know, doing shop alongs with people in stores, 
running surveys. We do a lot of social listening. Um, so we use a tool called Infigy that we like to um, employ at the outset of projects to just understand sort of like if we're, if we're talking about keto or if we're talking about probiotics or if we're talking about protein bars, like what do consumers have to say? What's going on? Who are the actual users? Um, just allows us to do a little bit of like spine essentially when people um, are just freely talking about these these brands, products or spaces. And so that's how we'll start our processes, but oftentimes we'll bring in partners that can do qualitative or quantitative um, studies. Um, we can work with partners to do validation testing. So we like to say that research is sort of like a goldfish and it'll grow to the size of the bull, the bull being dictated by how much a client wants to spend on research. So we have a lot of different things, but we, we always start our projects with strategy. Um, and most often today, that's clients wanting to know more about their specific consumer because we work with a lot of the challenger stage brands um, yeah. that do have differentiated consumers. Yeah, yeah. Final question, Fred, is what does it take to not just survive as a challenger brand, but but to to really break through and and, and thrive? What 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 key pillars of, of success are you seeing and this will transcend you know brand of, of, and i know brand is part of that mix from your opinion well um we say no to a lot of uh client opportunities if we try their product and we don't think it's where it needs to be because design is one of the fastest ways to kill a brand if you have great design but a subpar product you'll get really quick trial and very little reach repeat purchase so it'll accelerate the death of your brand so mm -hmm. the, the number one thing is to have a phenomenal product it all comes back to that moment and if you have a phenomenal product and then you build phenomenal design on top of it suddenly you have this sort of relationship of a promise or judging a book by its cover you're going to think this thing's amazing and then you try it and it is and now you have a very strong impression of the brand overall and you'll be a repeat purchaser. You might become a loyal consumer, et cetera. The other thing, I mean, especially for challenger brands is, you know, there's often um, a reluctance to try new things. You'll sort of look at someone else who's successful and try to emulate their playbook. And that can be mm -hmm. a dangerous thing to do at times. What got that company to where it's at is not what will get you there most likely. Um, and a lot of the entrepreneurial clients you know, they are their consumer, um, particularly, you know, in, the, in those early days. So honoring why they created that product, what the issues are that they see out in the space, and then working with teams like ours to help strategize around more long-term positioning um, typically sort of helps future-proof them. So those are a couple of things that I'd say um, are necessary for challenger brands. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Um, I could go on and on, um, but <laughs> I just would like to, to, to thank you for for coming on on, on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Um, for, for people who want to find out more about Interact, um, it's interactbrands.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T 
B-R-A-N-D-S.com. I would link to it in the show notes. Are there any active social media, you know, platforms your, your agency is, is, is active on? Are there any social media or, or you, you yourself are, are active on? Yeah, definitely. You can follow us on Instagram. Um, just look for interact brands there and, on uh, LinkedIn, um, myself LinkedIn. personally is quite active. Um, so it's just Fred Hart. Um, and then you can follow the agency on LinkedIn as well. But, you know, we spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about all the other components of what makes a successful company beyond branding and design. We go to 15 food and beverage trade shows a year. We know the key retailers, brokers, R&D food scientists, uh, private equity and venture groups. Um, the list goes on and on. And all of those, all of those elements are, are what are required to be um, successful today. And so we see a lot of things, we hear a lot of things, and as a result, we we really understand the businesses of CPG more than just the design output mm-hmm. that they require. Just out of curiosity, where, where are the 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 where, where are the top um, food and beverage um, you know um, event um, you think D two C um, CPG brand um, operators should should attend? Expo West is the big one. It happens every March in Anaheim. I think it's the place to go to see innovation it will be extremely inundating um in terms of just like stimulus i think there's usually eighty thousand attendees a year um over five thousand brands so it's a great place just to like see all the competition and to see where the buzz is last year we went and um there were 50 plant-based meat companies and as soon as we started to tally and we got up above 30 we knew that um, that category is in deep trouble that there's essentially no way that all of these brands can live in that space um, and that there's going to be a real shakeup. Um, there's just an, a crazy amount going on. So that's a great show. There's one in New York called the Fancy Food Show. Happens every um, summer. And that one's more specialty foods, but it's starting to bleed into natural and organic. It's always an interesting one, and it's close to um, Europe, of course. And mm-hmm. then. Um, Sweets and snacks. Sweets and snacks happens every year in Chicago. The sweets and snacks show is really focused mostly on the confectionery industry. Mm-hmm. And what's refreshing about that show is no one's worried about health claims or benefits. You're selling candy. <laughs> you're selling fun, right? So it's 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 all about like emotion and all this other stuff. And it's a really great reminder for the marketers and all of us that our product attributes are not the thing that defines our brand. The emotion is. And these are companies that have nothing else but emotion to rely on. <laughs> be fun, be fun, be fun, be fun. Fred, yeah. thank you so, so much for coming on the 2X e-course podcast. I appreciate it. Um, cheers. Thanks so much, Kenny. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.